I speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, just like skinny jeans and wide lapels and ties, angels go in and out of style. There are times when angels permeate our culture. Think every time a bell rings, an angel gets her wings from It's a Wonderful Life. Or more recently, the 1990s, when posters of chubby cherubim infested doctors' waiting rooms and the TV show Touched by an Angel took over the airwaves. Right now, though, angels appear to be somewhat out of fashion. Well, at least I'm not seeing or hearing much about them these days. But we Episcopalians and many other Christians align ourselves with the angels at least once a week during worship when at the Eucharist the priest says or sings, it is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. And then we sing the Sanctus, holy, holy, holy. But even so, even though we put ourselves on the side of the angels every week, what do we really know about them? There are lots of images from pop culture, of course. They're either chubby babies or really good-looking adults. Every single one of them has a pair of wings. They play the harp and they sing. And of course, don't we all have a guardian angel? Well, while those are lovely images, they don't quite line up with what we learn from the biblical account. You see, in the Bible, angels have three primary roles. First, there are angels who do absolutely nothing other than worship God, flying around with six, not two wings, two to cover their eyes, two to cover their feet, and two to fly around. Oh, and their eyes, by the way, they don't just have two. They're covered in eyes all over their body and on the inside too, though I can't quite imagine that. And some are said to have four faces, not one, and others are said to have wheels of fire and torches spinning around their middle. Hard to imagine or draw or put on touch by an angel. But these angels have one job, and that job is worship. But you see, they're not plucking harps, and they're not singing despite what we think. You see, if you go to Isaiah, we're told that the angels are flying around shouting, shouting, not singing, holy, holy, holy. Worship in heaven is constant, and it's loud. 
It's weird. It's chaotic. Well, maybe it's not chaotic, but it's loud. Second, angels act as messengers of God, and those are the angels we're most familiar with, the ones who appear with a message from God to Abraham or Zechariah to let them know that their aged wives will give birth. The angel Gabriel who tells Mary that she will conceive before she's married, wrong order. Or the angel who appears in a dream to Joseph to let him know that his fiance will bear the Messiah. The angel who appears in the night to the shepherds announcing the birth of the Messiah. Or the angels gleaming white at the tomb to announce that Jesus has been raised and that the women are to go spread that wild news. I could keep going, but these are some of the most well-known examples of messenger angels. And what do they all have in common? Well, they must have looked as terrifying as that description I just gave earlier because the first thing they all say, fear not, right? Fear not. Perhaps they had eyes all over and six wings and they entered shouting. And then they all deliver terrifying messages. Your life is going to be turned upside down, they tell people, because God has chosen you. That's usually what people hear. Guess what? Everything's different. Your life is going to be wild from now on. I think we miss that the message angels bring, those messages are often wild and they're incomprehensible. They're even devastating to people. It's only now as we look back that those messages look anything like good news. And finally, angels protect and defend us. They defend God's realm and they, they defend all of us. Saint Michael, the archangel, strove against the great deceiver, Satan, until the war in heaven when Michael thrust Satan out and down into earth. And angels protect people. They feed Hagar and Ishmael when they're on the run and they protect Daniel in the lion's den and they lead Israelites out of Egypt. They wait upon Jesus in the desert. They release the apostles from prison. You see, angels, angels are much, much more than cute cherubs and harp players. And though we celebrate the feast of St. Michael and all angels in a special way today, we honor the archangels and all the angels whenever we seek to do God's will. We live up to our patron and the angels whenever we worship fiercely, which we do here every Sunday. What we do here is worthy of those scary angels of many eyes and wings. And while we don't yell during worship, at least not usually, our worship is still plenty strange. Filled with smoke and fire, we sing what you could just as well say. We wear garments that look like nothing that I have in my closet at home. And we do all of that because we know that worshiping God is our main job. It's what we're made for, praising the one who is the source of all, who demands and commands our love and our loyalty and our awe. 
I mean, let's face it. Most folks stay home on Sundays, and lots of churches have decided that worship should feel normal, like anything else we might do in our lives, whether listening to a lecture at school or going to a rock concert. Church has started to look a lot like culture. But here at All Saints, where one of our patrons is St. Michael and all the angels, we've kept worship weird and mysterious and sacred. We also honor St. Michael and all the angels when we listen to God's messages that we are called to do really scary things that sound impossible now and they will only sound like good news later. We have a long, long history of doing scary, cross-shaped, gospel-inspired things at All Saints. I was flipping through Father Chastain's history of our church recently, and man, we were always getting into trouble. I mean, always. Most of you have heard the list many times, so I won't list all the holy troublemaking we've done because we felt called by God, but I wanted to tell you two things that happened to me this past week that made real how following God's call looks good now from a distance, but was terrifying at the time. This past week, I was at an IndyCan meeting. That's um, the Indianapolis Congregational Action Network group. It's a group of interfaith pastors who get together to think about how we might address social injustice in Indianapolis. We're involved with them through phone banking during this election. And during that meeting, one of the organizers asked pastors, how are you going to help inspire people during what is, by all accounts, a sort of negative election, a time when some of us are losing some hope? How will we inspire people? How will we offer hope? When have we had to do that in the past? And then he asked us to turn to the person next to us and share that. So I turned to the pastor next to me, who is the pastor of All Souls Unitarian, and we always get mixed up. People always think we're All Souls, and people always think All Souls is All Saints. And she said, you know, here's how I have hope. She said, I remember that in the 80s, this church, All Souls, decided to be an open and affirming church. And not everyone supported that idea, but we hung out rainbow flags and so on and so forth, and um, some of them got torn down by people in the neighborhood, and the people who had been sort of wishy-washy about being open and affirming suddenly got like really bold, and they were like, how dare people take down our flags, and this church that had been a little nervous about being open and affirming became open and affirming, and of course, 30 years on, we look back at that and we go, Puh, no big deal, right? And I said to her, yeah, you know, I have a similar story. I'm from All Saints, and uh, we certainly were involved with the LGBT, LGBTQ community early on. And she just looked at me, and she went, oh, All Saints. She's like, I'm so jealous of you guys. You guys are the real heroes. Everyone always talks about all you did 
in the early 80s and 90s. I don't think we felt like heroes then. I think we felt nervous. Some people got angry. Some people tell me that when they first went to the Pride Festival from here and sat at a table, that there were more protesters than there were people there at the festival. This past summer, we led the diocese in walking in the Pride Parade, and we got nothing but love and cheers. So what looks like good news now might not have felt that way at the beginning. The second thing that happened to me this week is this. I was at a celebration of new ministry where there were a bunch of pastors from different denominations and the pastor from Second Presbyterian was there and he learned that I was from All Saints. And he said, oh, I lived in your neighborhood back when you were trying to start a homeless shelter. And he said, man, were people mad at you? People were just up in arms and they were really angry at All Saints. And he said, I was on your side, but you guys really took the heat. Well, 35 years on, or however long it's been since we had homeless people sleeping in our pews, we now serve dinner at Dayspring once a month, and it feels like a great thing to do, no big deal, what we ought to do, obvious. But it didn't feel that way then. During those times when we were following the messages of God, maybe given to us by an angel, I can't help but think that we were inspired by the vision articulated by Father Carthy, our rector, in the 1960s. True Anglo-Catholic, he used to walk around the neighborhood in a black cassock, befriending the poor who still lived right next door to us. Father Carthy said all those years ago that at All Saints, we practice altar-centered social concern. Father Charles reminded me of that the other day. We practice altar-centered social concern. In other words, what we do first here is worship. That's what we do first. And then that worship, which reminds us that we are absolutely free and forgiven and loved, reminds us of who is in charge of our lives and that we need not fear for God is with us, that worship here should lead us out. It should lead us out into the world to fight for and care for those God loves most, the poor, the outcast, the forgotten, the oppressed. Is it any wonder then that the Michael windows are dedicated to Father Carthy, a priest who held together the angelic principles of worship and good news and justice. So we'll keep worshiping here at All Saints. We'll be reminded why from time to time, especially on the Feast of Michaelmas. And I hope we'll keep doing hard, scary things that might seem ridiculous or too controversial at the time, whether that's welcoming Syrian refugees instead of comparing them to Skittles, whether it's making phone calls with Indican to the people most major political parties are ignoring during this election, the black and the brown, the poor and the young, whether we're educating ourselves about race and racism so we might stand in solidarity and proclaim, even with voices shaking, black lives matter.
Our hands might quake and our voices might shake as we do these things, and that's okay. Do you think Mary wasn't afraid when the angel came to her? You think Jacob wasn't completely freaked out when he saw a ladder of angels and God speaking to him, promising him that he, this little guy, would be the father of nations? Of course they were. But they followed God anyway, and angels comforted them. Fear not. Fear not. After St. Michael drives Satan out of heaven, a loud voice in heaven proclaims that the deceiver has been conquered by the multitude of angels and by all the faithful through the blood of the Lamb. And because they did not cling to life, even in the face of death. In other words, everything is done through God. And all were willing to offer their own lives to sacrifice themselves in order to defeat Satan and sin and oppression and terror. Like Jacob and Mary and Moses, we are ordinary people called to do extraordinary things. And we know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And we never do it alone. For St. Michael and all the angels have our backs and will help and defend us here on earth as we follow the terrifying, amazing call of our God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.